Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This episode is powered by DEN certifications. You want to deepen your practice or supplement your knowledge for your day-to-day job? You'd be surprised to know how many certifications we do offer. All levels of Reiki, intuitive healing, compassion, animal communications, and of course, our deep 400-hour meditation teacher training program. Go to denmeditation.com and look under certifications for more information. Welcome to Dentox Podcast. This is Tal. I am your host, and I'm also the founder of Den Meditation. You guys, we have an amazing psychic on today. Her name is Laura Day. She is so incredible to the point the reason, I mean, I know how incredible she is. She actually has helped my friend find a DVD that was hidden in a pile in a building that has five stories. And it could have been in any room, anywhere, in an entertainment office. So you know that there's just DVDs everywhere back then. And it was literally like back in a corner under a folder and she led her directly to it. It's crazy. She's amazing. She's helped individuals for years. She works a lot with organizations and the government and doing some pretty cool shit. She's also big on teaching people intuition and how you can use your own intuition and work with it. We talk a lot about that in this one and a lot about how feeling disconnected from community and from people actually cuts you off from your own intuition. And what I actually found really interesting about that conversation is how it is actually easier to use your intuition and your healing abilities for other people than it is for yourself. So we really get into all of this, especially her childhood too, which is really crazy and gnarly. So it's a reminder of darkness does not mean anything anything, but you can actually grow from it and reclaim your happiness and where you need to go. So she is awesome. I hope you like this as much as I enjoy talking to her. She is stellar. She is so powerful and she has a lot to share. Enjoy. Um, But I'm so happy to have you here. I mean, I remember when Jamie was telling me all about you and then, I mean, you're amazing. You're this huge psychic. You have all these incredible powers and gifts and you were filled with so much love and energy. I mean, it's insane. So nice. It's so true, though. I should come here more. Please. (laughs) I beg you to come here more. And I mean, it's so nice to just actually see you face to face. We've had phone conversations, emails, but like this is so lovely to actually just be sitting here with you. You know, what what I think I love the best, the most about my work is that 
it is really not about me. It's all my books are workshops and it says and shows you and puts you in the situation where you can do all of these skills that you thought were so, you know, unbelievable. My, my favorite phrase is the person next to you is your psychic and the person on the other side is your healer. And it's really true, you know, to be able to share that kind of guidance so easily, individual to individual, I think empowers us all. But that's so interesting that you say that because you're basically saying, which we talk about a lot on the show, is that everyone has psychic abilities and healing abilities because you're saying anyone sitting to the right or left of you can do that for you. So do you think it's just people don't believe that or people don't accept it? Why do you I feel like there's such a differential? People think you either, oh my God, how do you have this gift? And others just who go to them just begging to you know, see glimpses of the gift. I think that in general, with everything. I mean, people are often their own best doctors. People are often their own best psychologists. Your friends often can give you more guidance than a professional in many ways. I think that that we uh, live in a culture where life is supposed to be, you know, our legs are supposed to be hairless, <laughs> our face is smooth, Oops. our demeanor. You know, we're, we're supposed to be perfect. And I think nobody really um, speaks the reality because the reality doesn't sell of life is very complicated. It's worth it. It has highs. But we are all overwhelmed. And we are even more overwhelmed because we're disconnected. So, so people are looking for the people who they think have the answers. And the people you think have the answers are simply people who do good marketing. Because we are all pond slime a lot of the time. So I think that people are so overwhelmed that they don't do what's actually the simplest thing, which is to create community and find your skills and share them. You know, they do the harder thing, but that appears to solve their problems right away, which is you go to an expensive psychic, you mm-hmm. go to a great plastic surgeon, you go to a great psychologist, you go to the perfect doctor, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> because we, don't, we do feel disempowered by the fact that nobody told us this stuff's hard. That's so, you said a couple of things in there that are amazing to talk about. But A, I love that you're just saying life is hard. So in some ways, we're just looking for easy answers. But then they end up making our lives slightly more difficult because it's not quite giving us the right answer. It's and just also giving you a disempowering quick fix. us. I mean, the reality is life is hard and we are equipped. Right. But we keep looking for some magical other equipment. And there is no magical other equipment. Your equipment is your intuition is your ability to plug in. So your group does it through meditation. They create a field where the guidance can come. My group does it by just like warriors going after that guidance. But if you find a methodology where you respect yourself and where you respect the person who seems to be nobody sitting next to you and you use and find their gifts, all of a sudden life becomes so much easier because when it's overwhelming, you are not so shy, so disconnected, so disempowered that you can't say, whoa, help, help. And, and, and it really, you know, intuition does respond to need. Interesting. Intuition responds to need. You know, the best intuitives, uh, my dear friend, who is an MD, PhD neuropsychiatrist, but also oh a God. medical intuitive, Monica Schultz. A lot of titles. Says you need the trifecta. <laughs> to be a truly good intuitive, you need a really horrendous childhood from zero to five years old. You need some head injury and a nice 
seizure disorder doesn't hurt. <laughs> because literally, intuition is about how do I direct this universal energy right away to get an outcome because otherwise I die? How do I find the information that I'm too young, I'm too dumb, I'm too uneducated or too inexperienced to find? How do I find that, that information right now and I don't have a computer? So, so these are survival skills. And when you then use these survival skills as adults, you really can um, empower yourselves and one another to make a great life. So basically, we all have it in there, but somehow, through time, we've stopped being raised in a way to own it or to know that we even have it. And so you're saying literally sometimes the only people who actually naturally have it in their way is because they're forced to use it yeah. and they're forced they're to find so it. They're so traumatized, which we don't want. No, no, right. I'm not saying, okay, go out and beat your children right, so that you can have a nice psychic in your well, life. Well, <laughs> also, you know, um, there is a misconception that children should be intuitive and actually I mean, you hear it all the time. But you've got to repress that stuff because what intuition does allow you to do, and I think this is one of the reasons that people are so uh, uncomfortable with it, is it allows you to jump into another human and be them. It allows you to move around in space and time and really experience it. That would be very bad for children if they didn't learn to repress it. That's why most people who are, as young adults, extraordinary intuitives are also people who can't tie their shoes or can't use the information to get a job. They're, they learn to manipulate their environment energetically, but they don't really know how to be an active part of it. So there's always... They're missing the practical. Right, there's a trade-off. So what you do That's with children is you repress their intuition. You keep them in the here the now, the consensus reality, and you move their intuition into creativity and into good self-management and good community management and then when they get old enough where they have goals, you know, beginning, I would say, you know, just after high school where they have world goals and they no longer have the exoskeleton of that parental or guardianship that, that we hopefully have for our younger people, that's when intuitive training is wonderful. That is also the organic place where people do become intuitive because people are intuitive mm. always in two areas. Their area of greatest neurotic preoccupation. So if you think all men are bums and they're all going to let you down, your intuition will help you find the next bum to let you down, which is why it's important to train your goals. Oh. But also your area of greatest expertise. So, you know, I, I um, used to train doctors in intuition, and that's where their intuition worked. You know, yes, they did the test, but the truly, you know, the truly plugged in doctors, when their patient walked in, they knew what was going on. Just intuitively. So you're saying, in the smallest ways, for people out there who are like, I don't know what she's saying, I'm not an intuitive, you're saying, look at these two areas, and you probably will notice that you have signs of intuition. Yes. This is like the beginning of it. This is the start. This is where everyone can kind of start scratching the surface. And, well, yes, and... You know, if you look at, if you really look at the amount of decisions you make correctly during the day, you don't have enough data to do that. You're always using your intuition. The problem is people don't direct their intuition. So intuition just gives you information. Well, we all have too much information anyway. Right. You want to, you need to have questions. So the first thing I say to people when they say, well, I want the answers, I say, well, start with knowing what your questions are. Because we're getting answers all the time. No, but I love that. It's basically, that's like the connection of the brain and like what we have today and the intuition, which I think is where, it, this, that's where I think it gets messy for a lot of people to understand and comprehend, which is like, 
how do I know what's actually intuition? What's my ego? How do I know what's truly coming, like what the pure message is or what's me now using my brain to mess it up? But I love that you're saying a way you can start is use the brain to actually ask the question. What is it that you want to know? And then the answer will be there. And then you can prove and disprove the answer because you don't actually know what is, especially if you're predicting the future, which is what I do for a living, you don't actually know if you're right or wrong until it happens. So it's very important to know what the circle asks you to do. And we're going to go over kind of a a quickie circle exercise at the end of this podcast. But, you know, what the circle says is, what's your goal? Pick a goal. You know, don't pick a million goals because that's how you get nothing done. Pick a goal. You're not saying the rest of your life is not important. Your your subconscious is not going to let you drop the rest of your life for your goal. But what is it you really want right now? And then you'll know what that information addresses. And then document it, whether you speak it into your iPhone or you write it down, the things that come out of left field. And there are you know, other practices to gather intuitive information. Then prove or disprove it. The only difference between psychic and psychotic is that your information is right. So I don't like when you have a I a lot of great little. I love it. It's been forty years, but I, I keep don't, them coming. I don't like it when my students, you know, do kind of the broad journey kind of readings because there's really no way to prove or disprove it. Also, couldn't a broad journey reading? So many things can change your journey. No, like. You know, I mean, that's actually a question. Let's, let me back up and actually yes. ask you a question because in doing a psychic reading, do you see from start to finish clearly or, it, or do you, can't, so, isn't there free will within there that can change what the destination becomes? Or is the destination always the same and it's just how you get there? No, I've, I, at my experience um, is that, that you, one, one reason to see the future is to change it. You know, we are miracle makers. Human beings are miracle makers. And the fact that we've forgotten that, I think, is the most dangerous thing. That we, A, we're miracle makers, and B, it's so much easier to make a miracle in two or in 200 than it is as you alone. Right. So community, community gives you so much more than you realize. People but don't realize that. They don't realize Because people ask it. all the time, like, why do I need to go in to meditate at your studio? There's so many apps. I'm like, by the way, the apps are great. We want everyone to just be taking care of themselves. But they're really is something that happens when you're also meditating next to other people. It's There's an energy that elevates. I say it when I teach. Nicole, I'm, po- I'm pointing Nicole because I make her go to every class. And it's like, poor girl just sits there sometimes by herself. <laughs> but it's, and I do say it, I'm like, someone could have an amazing elevation in a class. They might have had some, and you will actually reap the benefits of that because you're all together and you don't realize that. So people are lifting each other up and you don't even know what's and happening. even if they don't have an elevation, the simple act of being together with with a target or a goal, which everyone, when they come in to a meditation class, they want to heal. Yep. Whether they want to heal their relationships or their finances or their business or their yep. body, they want to heal. I mean, pain is supposed to be a passage, not someplace you live your life. Right. And so to be there with common intent is really like going back to the com- the complete entity of spirit that we all are. And connecting with it, it's so empowering. I, I tell people, um, 
People always say, oh, you're so generous. You do these groups for free. Uh, no, I make a <laughs> list of everything I want the group to heal before I walk in that room because the most organized energy is the energy that gets the most. So I make a list. I want to heal this. My ankle feels funny. Um, my, I'm seeing a wrinkle. Um, this relationship, <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with. I literally make a written list and I stick it in my bra and I walk into the group, the class I'm teaching, the class I'm taking. And the first thing I do is remind myself that I am connected to every bit of energy in this planet, but that in this room, we are super connected by virtue of proximity. You know, an electrical outlet works and the electricity is always there, but when you plug into it, wow, you see it work. That's such a great metaphor, you know, actually. So I do, I do a lot of free groups because I want to be in a group of people where I am connecting, where they are carrying my load, which is lighter for them, and I'm carrying theirs that's lighter for me. You know, we, do, we have different gifts. Your vulnerabilities are really hard for you to heal. But they're not hard for me or somebody else to heal. My vulnerabilities are really hard for me to heal. But I can give them to you and you can lovingly carry them, learn from them, and give me myself back whole. And I think that that's the wonder of community. That's so beautiful because I love that. I mean, that's so true. Like at the most basic time, like when someone's going through whether it's a breakup or a loss or a sickness and they come to you like, you usually, on the other end, can see it so much more clearly and you can be there for someone because you you can see where it gets easier. You can see where the healing needs to happen. But you're right, when it's your own, sometimes you and don't see And you can be the even, catalyst yeah. for it. I mean, it, it, that is why, you know, it, it is, even in the worst moments of your life, whoever you are, the communal you, when you feel worthless, when you have made so many mistakes, when, you know, we all have those passages. Um, you know, I work a lot with the quote-unquote rich and famous. They all have the passages. We just hope it doesn't get into national media, you know. Right. Uh, we pretend everyone doesn't, but we all have those low moments. But when, when you can really, um, even in that moment, be of service to someone else, you see your wholeness, your beauty, and your power, and that in and of itself is healing. We all have something to offer, and we forget that. And I love how, I mean, you started this conversation by saying, which I'm just tying it back to this aspect of community and wholeness and being part of one, which is so much of the reason we're not connected to our intuition is because we've actually forgotten that we're connected to everybody. And we are connected to our intuition. We're just connected toxically because one of the things that I go around doing with every group is, you know, telepathy is great, but look at your head right now. Listen, how many conversations are you having that are toxic that you need to end? Mediumship is great. Our ability to literally become one another or take other energy in and become it and, and understand it is an amazing gift. But somebody depressed in you gives you depression. I think a lot of weight problems is kind of leaky mediumship. Same thing with precognition. People are so afraid of what they're actually seeing in the future because they don't know how to use their intuition that they're not dealing with the present that could create another future for them. Right. You know, they're so actually it, not taking control. It's like you actually have control over this. We talk about the leaky. You were saying that sometimes people being overweight is actually... 
So, you know, one of the things that I, I used to, um, in my 20s, a lot of my friends were, were overweight. Um, and a lot of intuitives are because they take on so much stuff. a lot of energy. They're, they're one end of the spectrum. I'm the scrawny end, but there's the heavy end. I've heard that. Like when you become a healer, you tend to either get fat or really skinny. Or really Because you're either burning everyone's stuff or you're just taking it on. You know, so, so, it's, so one of the things that... Um, helps so much with weight loss, by the way, also helps with things like anxiety and depression, is the second element of the circle, which is called embodiment, which embodiment is really about the effort that you make to be more fully in you, which when you do that, when you say, okay, what am I tasting, smelling, seeing, like mindfulness, when you practice that mindfulness, mindfulness is a healing technique for mediumship. What happens is you realize, oh, my mother, who died 30 years ago, energetically is still in me. This person who's feeling empty, who I'm trying to help, is actually in me. Now, all of these different things are in me, There's, and you, you use food to, in a sense, soothe it, stuff it down. You feel other people's hunger. It's not even yours. So it's really important to find techniques where you are mostly the person in you. You're never 100% in possession of your own real estate, <laughs> but to begin to know, you know, like my son is always a little in me. I'm always a little in him. It's a little intrusive because I'm actually able to document what have, it is I see. I but, have that question for you later. <laughs> um, but, but really doing something like mindfulness where you are the as much as possible, the only person in your body is actually one of the best healing techniques, one of the best weight loss techniques, one of the best, you know, anti-depression techniques. And the interesting thing that you see, anti-depression, that's a new phrase I just termed. <laughs> the interesting thing that you see when you practice what I, what I call embodiment. So when you really begin to notice all the people that are actually inside of you, not metaphorically inside of you, one of the things that happens is that you feel a new ease in your life. And for me, that's the goal for everything. How do you get the information to make good financial decisions? How do you get the experience to heal your body and your relationships? You know, how do you direct your energy in a way that the world is working with you? You're not always struggling against the world. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason my first book was called Practical Intuition and this was published in 19, I think, 95 or 96, was, was that for me, I really looked around and said, well, gee, everyone's spending so much time on quote-unquote spirituality, but their lives are falling apart. The best indication of spirituality is that you are able to have crisis in your life and then reach a higher place from it. You know, not that you're able to have a perfect life because that's Nobody. you not, but it's also you not growing. Right. You know, your, your soul wants you to master this, this physical reality. That's why we have bodies. The ego is actually your friend. Without an ego, you don't create anything. But it's so important to say that because, again, I think that gives people a little bit of permission, like to be okay with when the times are hard or there's tough decisions or things to do because I feel like so many people feel like 
life is supposed to be easy breezy. And so when things are bad, like you said, they don't have the energy to know how to get through it or master it or they take it and grow. They also feel like losers, so they do the opposite. Isolation is the number one killer. It kills more people. Loneliness kills more people than obesity, so than smoking. I mean, there are statistics here. I'm a, I am a, a science factoid lover. I love um, that. And, and the worst part is that people... When I have horrible things, I've had a bunch of things happen. They're all well-documented on the internet, whether they're true or not. <laughs> and, and my publicist will say, well, we can flood the internet, we can take it down. I'm like, no, what kind of teacher would I be? I make horrible mistakes, I make terrible misjudgments, I do really stupid things. And everybody should know about it because I also still have a loving, fabulous, successful, rich life because that's how life is you you take what comes up and you don't isolate and that's been for me as a individual the number one lesson because as the oldest child in a home that was full of trauma I learned to hide when the ambulance would come to take mommy to the psych ward and one of the things I've learned as an adult is when I've made a mistake to yell, I've made a mistake I'm an idiot help me teach me, me. too or when I need help to say I, I need your love, I need your money, I need your housekeeping skills, I need your guidance, I need whatever it is. I need not keeping a secret of what I need or what I have to offer. Because even at my worst, I can predict the future for you. At, <laughs> my husband at his worst can edit your pilot and make it perfect. You know, my son at his worst can make a business plan. You know, like at something. your worst, you still you still have some wonderful thing intact. And as a matter of fact, those of you who are young and an absolute mess and everyone's going ahead of you, it's probably because you have some trauma and underneath that trauma is always a superpower. My superpower from trauma is intuition. It has made my life for me. But that was a trauma, that was a superpower. Let's talk about it, though, because you did start with what your friend said, the three pillars of becoming an amazing yes. intuitive. So what was your, I must say, you just hinted that you had not the easiest childhood. Uh, my, you know, I, I had a really kind of neglectful, abusive, not kind of childhood. My mother was a manic depressive who ultimately succeeded in her suicidal attempts two oh. days after my 14th birthday. Oh, God. I have two siblings who did not survive. Um, who've suicided in the last five years. Both of them? Both of them. Wow, so you've had three suicides in your immediate... Uh, in my immediate, not, and that I'm not counting in a bunch of peripheral like my right. uncle. And, um, wow. And, but I was, you know, intuition really, uh, it is a gift. I mean, for intuition, I was very lucky because in my early 20s, scientists discovered me, people who were interested in studying intuition discovered me. So I didn't kind of go to the weird side. I, I learned right off the bat to use intuition in ways that were provable and practical because I was a test subject and they basically taught me how to use what was a pathology and, and make it into a superpower because the ability to dissociate from your body, to forget to eat for days, to be in a different space and time, those are not gifts unless you make them gifts. That's right. actually, that, that can get you a free ticket to a psych ward. But I, it goes back to everything has a duality and a polarity. And it's like, so instead of just concentrating on one side, see what the opposite side is. How, tell me a little bit more about your childhood though. So you, there were three of you. There were four four of us and really I'm the only one who you know who has a life where I say well 
almost the only one who's alive, but where I say, well, you know what? I have everything I need. And for me, the difference wasn't just intuition because everybody's intuitive. The difference was that I really have always valued my connection with other people. And so no matter what, I had a community. I learned how to parent, not from my parents, but from the people who, you know, took a scrappy girl and gave her a meal or, you know, listened to her or helped her out. And so the, you know, intuition does uh, show us that we are interconnected. We're in each other. You know, we're in each other. So what does that say when you harm somebody? You're in that person. You're harming you. But I had the gift of community. I had that gift of unity. I think because my brain was on some level so ADD, so damaged, that I didn't know not to be part of the community. I had very few natural boundaries. So it was completely normal for me to figure out who in my apartment building served dinner and show up at their apartment <laughs> when they were serving. And, and it That's was amazing. <laughs> you know, it was, I didn't realize everybody didn't see the world the way I did, that everyone did, couldn't feel what other people were feeling or see, you know, what was happening in another location. I didn't realize until my early 20s that other people didn't see the world exactly the way I saw it. And I think that that's, that's true. We underestimate how much, as children, especially in traumatized homes, which do tend to isolate you in certain ways, how much you just think everyone thinks like you do. And for me, I still... I'm learning from my students that you actually have to eat to live, for example. Um, I learn from my students how to uh, deal like a human being in the world, you know, how to actually speak my truth instead of having a telepathic dialogue. You know, <laughs> how, being, being human's a powerful thing, and I have definitely been on the remedial track. And then I also have the privilege of teaching people who are really good at being human how to take their humanness to the next octave. It doesn't necessarily make them better humans, but it makes them more successful humans because what intuition does allow you to do is have a relationship in some level, on some level without making contact to make all the right moves but without experiencing any of them, which is not being alive. You don't really need a body or a material reality for that. But it does help you create in life. It helps you when you learn prediction and you learn to evaluate markets in a certain way you don't make mistakes and when you you know learn how to build what it is you want to build when in, when you learn how to apply intuition to making right decisions it does make life easy, easier so you can have you have more time to be human how do you and how i know you said start with asking the question but how do people know what the voice is to listen to well it's not always a voice people get intuition through their five senses plus their sixth sense which is thought and memory because your intuition will use whatever language you have to give you information so you you really the circle um, the circle and practical intuition are two books that basically put you in the state of knowing what your questions are, setting your goals, and then using intuition. And part of the way that, especially as beginners, you use intuition is to have a goal, is then to learn the state of 
uh, attention, of openness, as opposed to what many people do, which is to visualize. Visualization creativity is not intuition. So once you have a goal, the second element of any intuitive process is to experience that goal, open yourself up to that goal, and all of a sudden you will notice that there is a rush of information from your senses, even from what you begin to notice in your environment. And as you document that information, it will challenge you to do things in different ways. And as you document that information, you'll see that you get some real data that's right. So for example, Last night I did a uh, an evening workshop at Leslie Kahn's acting studio with mm-hmm. actors, and one of them had a reading with a stranger because I make them do the work right away. I don't want to be guhu Maharaji day, <laughs> you know. I'm like, you know how to do this, and I'm going to show you you know how to do this by making you do this right now. And <laughs> so this one um, woman gave a reading to my daughter-in-law. Gave uh, the the month her movie's going to come out, the first name of her agent, like things you can verify. How do you know it's intuitive? You document it and verify it. And and on my uh, Instagram, I have people read for strangers. So I'll post uh, a question or I'll post an exercise and you tag someone and you simply notice where your attention goes and you put it in the comment. You often don't know what question you answer. You don't know the person. And here you are. You're just reporting everywhere your attention goes. And people give each other, beginners give each other wonderful readings. The other plus to, it's Laura Day Intuit at Instagram. And the other plus to that is that's how I supervise my students who I'm turning pro. So there are really well-trained intuitives who are also giving readings. And there's a trick to giving a reading on a public forum. Because at a certain point, you know, when you give a reading, you have a target, and then you just report every place your attention goes. What you're seeing, what you're feeling, what you're smelling, what you're sensing, any sense of time. You're just, attention is so mobile that the problem isn't getting the information, it's how quickly you can get it out of you before it goes away. Right. But but the trick on doing it in a public forum is to do it in a way that the person you're speaking to knows what you're talking about, but everyone else doesn't too much so that you don't expose people. Ah. Um, and they, I am so proud. I read those readings and I just weep. I'm so proud of people <laughs> for putting themselves out there, but also for helping each other on their journey. But so for someone personally, you're saying it can be smells or signs that you're seeing once you know what you're looking for. It can be a voice. It can be how your body feels. Right. And what happens is it's really a gestalt of all of them. So what happens is that you you have a question and then all of the sudden, all of those different senses, memories, experience, names that come to mind, times, seasons you see in your mind, all of it comes together and it gives you a story. And you give that story to the person and it makes no sense to you, the <laughs> intuitive, absolute sense to the person. Now, there are ways to use intuition for yourself, but it's much harder. The, what the circle does is, in a sense, have you use intuition without having to be aware of it all the time. But for somebody else, just have them write a question on a piece of paper. It's even better if you don't know the question. Hold the piece of paper. 
And then just document for the person. Speak out loud everywhere your attention goes. Well, I, when I hold this paper, I feel this way, and I remember a vacation I took, and I'm suddenly I'm getting a pain in my stomach, and that pain I'm sensing the month of November, and for me that pain actually isn't bad in any way. It simply means that there's going to be a complication that I don't feel you can avoid by doing anything. Now, blah blah blah. Right. And and you're actually if you do it without criticizing yourself the entire time. Which well, that's is, hard. <laughs> no, it is. It's very hard. But it, what happens is after a while, your natural inner intuitive mechanism takes over. And I could read, I set a timer when I read, because once I start reading for somebody... You could go and go. I could go, I mean, it could be the next day, because people are... <laughs> I love it when, when students say, oh, I'm not getting anything. It's like, I really want to smack you here, they, because... They just can't, they're not connecting not to it. That's not possible. There's a book called... called uh, uh, life after life, I think. That's about people who had near-death experiences, and they're reading, and they're dead, you know. And then they they're resuscitated. But like you, you can't get rid of your intuition. So what do you need to do? You need to keep a clean shop. So notice those conversations you're having in your head because you're really having them. Pick conversations you want to have and have the discipline to switch over from those neurotic conversations to the ones you've chosen. Mediumship too. Who's in my body? What do I need to get them out? It's really hard sometimes. For example, when lovers break up and you're thinking, I'm not going to call him, I'm not going to call him. Well, if your focus is on him, you're calling him anyway. Mm-hmm. So so then the question That's is... That's interesting. I love that. Right. You're, actually, mean, you're calling him, you don't realize you're you calling him. You don't realize him. he's getting the juice he, he needs. He still feels or it. Or she getting the juice they need. I know, I love that we assume you know? it's the girl who's I going know. crazy. <laughs> but um, but and, and so then, then the question that intuition can answer is what do I need to do and often it's the last thing you want to do you know, I know. Uh, take a cycling class uh, sit for an hour do a meditation uh, like often it's the last thing you want to do to break the cycle but then your goal is how do I get how do I disengage even for a moment how do I get this person out of me because a lot of the time when you stop that dialogue what happens is the person actually has to show up they right. can't get you through the back door anymore. Right. You know, so the more, in a sense, the more you keep a clean shop, the better off you are. Also, just having access to your power. So, you know, astral projection, remote viewing. And by the way, there's a lot of science in all of this. Go mm-hmm. to PubMed. You can see a lot of it, even on precognition. But, um, but with remote viewing, I always say to people, Why, where are you right now? You know, I mean, I've been to my apartment at least five times since we've been talking. I've been to my <laughs> husband in London a couple times. I'm sure you've been with your kid probably a hundred times since the beginning of this conversation. Huh. So the more that you can keep your energy in the here and now, mindfulness, you would probably say in your meditation. Yeah. Um, but the more you can keep your energy in the here and now and not travel, the more power you have to have an impact. And how for people who don't realize they're traveling... Well, you you know, you're aware you're somewhere else. I mean, if any of you right now listening notice where has your mind been geographically during this conversation, and I'm sure it's been in at least 10 places, some of them current, some of them, you know, some of them from your past, some of them perhaps from your future, but where your power is now. You want information about your future because you want to change it now. Um, you also want to be able to know which parts of your past are are uh, hampering you because you want to heal them now. But the important moment is now. Right. And and all of that, you don't have much power in the now if you're not in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, the more you can be in your wonderful ego. Ego gets such a bad rap. 
your ego is what creates in the physical world. That's what you're here to do. You'll yep. have plenty of time without a body to do the rest of it. You know, you want to be in the here, in the now, knowing what it is you want to create, or at least being open to inspiration and creating it with as much joy as possible. How did you even, like obviously zero to five, like you did not have a great childhood. When did you start realizing you're intuitive? Like you said earlier, you didn't think everyone looked at the world the way you did. Like you didn't realize people didn't look at the world the way you did or feel the people. But what does that mean? Like what did you see? What did you feel? I just thought I was smarter than I was. I mean, because I could go up to someone and say, oh, I think you're going to, you know, I think you're going to fail this test tomorrow. You're studying the wrong thing. Now, how, but what would that look like for you? Is that just like a thought like, that would come to your head and out your mouth? Or was it something you would see? Is it like Sometimes I'd see it. Sometimes it would be an experience. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I would... I mean, I was definitely um, one of those children who was odd. But <laughs> What know, does that mean? Uh, you know, I would say things to people that, you know, I, I, I tell, tell an adult that their partner was cheating before they knew, and then they'd find out a month later. I mean, I w- it doesn't make you popular at parties. No. But I also really, you know, I, I found the good people because I could feel inside. So I, I would gravitate to the lovely people, teachers, uh, other children in my environment. So there was also kind of a self-preservation gift. I didn't really realize that I saw the world differently until I saw a TV show when I was 20 or 21, and they were talking about the extended capacities of human perception. And I thought, well, what are they talking about? This is, everyone does this. So I, and I was a science nerd, so it was on a science channel. I went to a school called Stuyvesant in New York oh, yeah. that was all math and science nerds. And um, so I called the, one of the people in this program that I'd seen on TV and said, well, I can do what you're talking about. And they said, well, come on in. And I went in and they ran a series of, you know, their experiments. Which were what? Do you remember what they were? Yeah, I do. And actually, uh, in Practical Intuition, uh, one of the doctors uh, recounts one of the experiments. But the very first thing that that, uh, his name was Bruno Del Rosa, this doctor did, was he said, he, he put a name in an envelope. Like, he just invented something on the spot. And, you know, at the, at the time, you, the picture is, you know, he's expecting an adult. I'm, I'm five foot five. I'm probably 95 pounds in a blue <laughs> pleated skirt and a white button-down blouse and flats. And this, this little gnome, and, and, you know, what I call Manson hair, straight blonde, blonde yes. hair, you know. I mean, this is the 70s or the early 80s. And, um, and were you alone? I was alone. So I, I walk in and he starts explaining and I have an auditory processing problem. So I'm like, it's going way over my head. So I say to him, why don't you just put a name in an envelope? So he puts a name in an envelope. And I love that is, you invented the game. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I said, well, you know, their things were more structured and he was just interviewing me to see if he was interested. So I said, put a name in an envelope. And I don't even know where I came up with that really. So he put a name in an envelope and I held the envelope and I spoke about this person, what was going on in his body, what was going on in his life. I knew it was a male. I got the right age. Um, And then I saw another person and I was very confused. So I described this other person who was an artist who had been losing control of his muscles. And, um, and he, and I looked at him and I said, I'm really confused because I'm seeing two separate people. 
And he said, well, one of them was me, and you got me right on the nose. I have no idea what you're getting for the other one. And then he went, oh, my goodness. He had put his first name, which was also his dear friend's first name, in the envelope without a last name. Uh, so I had picked been up on both going of them. back and forth between both and ultimately met the other person as well. And so then he invited all of the, his colleagues to kind of use me as their yeah. subject. And for me, it was wonderful because here were educated, um, smart, you know, uh, adults who were interested in me, and they gave me a framework for what is really pathology. They, what is actually crazy if you don't train it. They gave me a framework for it, and that was the first time I thought, oh, okay, I have something that's unique. And then very quickly thereafter realized, no, it's not unique. I've just had to use it my whole life. Actually, everyone has it. So I had a very short period of being special. <laughs> Sorry for the interruption, but it is that time again to talk about our next Dentox Live. These are getting bigger, so you've got to reserve your spot. They are so exciting, and you always get so much information about it. I'm really pumped about this next one because it's our very own Jason Moten. It's transpiritual, and we were talking about his transgender journey. We are going to dig into this. It's not just about being transgender. It's all about identity. What does that even mean in the spiritual world? How do these two interlink? What does it mean for anyone who's just looking inward and trying to figure out who they are? What does it mean when that gets met with certain expectations? We're going to dive deep. We're going to get into it. Reserve your spot. It's September 7th, Saturday at La Brea. See you there. We get a question all the time. How can I become a teacher? How can I learn more about meditation? I just want to know more. I want to go deeper. I want my practice to be stronger. Our teacher training program has been incredible. Now, look, if you want to be a teacher, this is perfect for you. But also, if you're just craving to have a stronger practice and understand more about everything that it means and signifies and where it comes from, this is the perfect program for you. We offer it in modules so that you can make it flexible if that's what you need for payment or schedule. We're here for you to make it work. Our next one is starting in September. It's with Heather Preet, Hillary Jackendoff and Chandrish Bardwatch. These teachers are incredible. They are senior teachers at the DEN. Don't miss this opportunity. Go to denteachertraining.com and sign up. Talk to me though about like, I mean, is it gifts? I don't know like what to say. Your intuition. Your ability. Your ability. It's so an when, innate ability. So when you, you've had this ability since you were a child, you've always used it. Do you feel like, at t when do you feel like it grew to like a bit, or was it always huge and you had to rein it in? Like It was always huge. I, rein I have reined it in as well as I can. I mean, I'm never, I never have the natural human boundaries that make a really functional human being. I, I'm just, that is not, that is beyond my reach. That's my Achilles heel. Um, <laughs> but, you know, once I was in, once I was in this milieu, uh, what happened was one of the experiments was televised, and it wasn't supposed to be. It was all supposed to be, you know, quiet on the down low, I'm person X. Um, and I had an instant following of people who wanted a lot of weird stuff, but also a lot of interesting stuff, you know, like drug companies that wanted me to predict the outcome of drugs, or if they'd get a patent, or who'd get a patent first, or, um, or you know, a lot of entertainment companies, which was interesting to me because I was a twenty-year-old. Um, uh, like, what shows are going to work? <laughs> no, it was you know more like uh, the business end, you know, raising money for productions or when it would rain to 
schedule interior scene. Like very, you know, it's funny. People think of intuition as this like wild, crazy thing, and some of it is kind of fun and fun. Dead people are fun. Past lives are fun. <laughs> all of that stuff that's not all that useful a lot of the time is fun. Um, although I know some extraordinary mediums who are, by the way, extremely useful when someone needs to. Uh, orient themselves with grief or when you actually do need to know uh, where the gold is buried. Right. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a very, I, I, I definitely don't mean to say that that's not valuable. It is. Just in your daily life, it's what's really valuable is, is just being able to integrate intuition to all your relationships and decisions. But what was your question? Here's ADD in action. What were we talking? Oh, your powers getting bigger or oh, being reined in. So what I did learn was to be more functional in the world. And the moment I was more functional in the world and the moment that I kind of naturally chose uh, functional businesses to work with as an intuitive, um, my abilities became more useful. You know, before it was more just my being overwhelmed by everybody's thoughts and feelings, but it really did help me know the right teachers to pick, uh, the right jobs to apply for, the right thing to say. You know, on some level, my intuition as a young person formed as an automatic pilot, mm -hmm. but I wasn't really alive. You know, those people who do people the, do the do being a person really well but you know there's nobody there yeah that was kind of me in my you know teens and 20s I, I just I knew what to do because intuition would show me the right moves but I and I would follow them because I didn't really have any you know gear shift myself um but where they really became useful was when I said okay this isn't about uh, manipulating my environment this is about me growing making choices and using this to create in my world and, and in my community. And that's where it became useful. Where's the, like, what's the oddest thing? Or has someone ever asked you for help in a way that made you uncomfortable? Yes. Um, a uh, guru <laughs> offered to pay me $150,000 and also wow. did this, some of this weird stuff like, you know, bought all these gold things that presented presented them to me and it was very strange but offered to pay me $150,000 to channel a song from uh, name the oh my god this is ADD John the Beatle oh yeah yeah John Lennon Lennon I was like to, now I'm blanking why are we all blanking <laughs> <laughs> to channel a song from John Lennon using mediumship and that was just a little... Meaning like one he didn't get to write yet? Yes. Oh, yeah. interesting. And that was just a little too weird for me. I said, thank you, but um, thank you, but no thank you. And it was really interesting. I mean, it, it was, I did, I did uh, try it and kind of enjoy it, but I would never have given it to anybody. Right. And I really, you know, I enjoyed sitting. There was, he was like a real guru type person. So everyone came and sat and chanted and chanted for me, which was very weird because being the center of the attention for me, I have a little chant that I do before I go on stage. Um, and I chant harder depending on the size of the group. Mm -hmm. It's, dear God, if you're going to end the world in the next 48 hours, please do it before I get on that stage. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, like having a room full of people, you know, dressed in robes, chanting for me. I felt really blessed, but it also felt like way too much weird. It was over my weird. I mean, I was in my 20s. It was way over my yeah, weird. Yeah, that's a lot. I also had a group of monks who wanted, they had chosen me because they believed that I was the one who could learn to be invisible. And they wanted to, their their guru wanted to, um, wanted me to learn to be invisible. 
And I, at some point, I didn't understand why that made me so angry. And then I realized, wait, I'm paying $70 an hour, which at the time was the going rate for therapy, to be in therapy so I can be visible. Right. Why, would I, why would I want to like work on disappearing again? That's so interesting. But spirit, odd spiritual things are the weird stuff. I mean, my day job is predicting the future for companies, predicting markets for you know, companies. So it's so interesting that that's where you fell. Why do you feel like you're comfortable in that realm versus like you said, you could read every single person who walks in front of you at any time and you could, you could do whatever you could do, whatever you have, you have the abilities. We all have the abilities. Right. And, but you've cultivated it and you're in touch right. with it. So why do you feel like you're comfortable? Why do you feel like this is where you've gone? Because when you read an individual, you might be the only voice other than the voices in their head. Whereas in a company, there are a lot of people that if you make a mistake, or if my son so graciously says, when you're batshit crazy, <laughs> they know it. So I really, you know, I feel like um, just ethically, anybody, I'm not licensed to do anything. You, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm right. not a therapist. Um, most psychics aren't. So I feel like when I read a company, um, they, I'm one voice among many. Whereas when I read a person, I may be their only voice, and nobody's 100%. So those mistakes can be deadly for somebody. That's so interesting. Now, I do read in a group. I read in a group for two reasons. I mean, the, I've also priced myself out of individuals, and I don't want to just read rich people. I want to be part of a community. You know, money's just one commodity, but the support that I get from people just energetically doing healing, giving me information, telling people about my books, you know, the support that's non-monetary is yeah. huge. Um, but I read in groups because A, I do make mistakes and people should see them because I think that it takes away the magic of, you know, a psychic's always 100%. If they say this, you can't change it. Right. But I also read in groups because there is something about giving information in a group where if it is not phrased properly, there's so many people in a community around you to be able to support that person. So you know they have support. I think it's really, really... And I do a lot of readings for people. I mean, you can't sit me next to someone at a dinner party without... I'm sure. My, but also because it's easier for me than conversation. You know, I don't... Um, I have a very porous brain. I don't always know what's going on in the world. I can be very boring when you want to talk about film or culture, but I'm not boring when you want to talk about your company or your past or your future. You know, that's kind of where my comfort zone is and where my my gift is. You know, it's a little hard for my husband. I, every once in a while I look, for my, look at my husband, who was a journalist before he was a screenwriter and before he was a showrunner. I look at him and I say, I know you want to have this intellectual conversation with me, but that really is what your friends are for. You know, uh, if you want to know what foods you're allergic to, if you want to know <laughs> how much a company's going to pay you, if you want to know who you should hire for your writer's room, talk to me. If you want to discuss, you know, the fine points of the Republican Party, I really think there are better choices for you. Where does, like, so, but that's actually really interesting. So where, like... Where do you draw the line? Like, if you know, like, when you were starting to date your husband, like, what did you know about him before he walked in? You know what I mean? So like, how does it... Here's the thing. The re you are the, your hardest person to read. 
And it's really important to know where your intuition works. My intuition's great with money. It's great with real estate. It's great with other people's problems, other people's <laughs> companies. Um, but I knew that my intuition was... that I knew that there was an intuition override from my traumatic past in picking partners. So what I did was what I encouraged people to do. Know where your intuition at this time, it may in the future, is not working for you, and get help. So... After my last relationship ended, I asked my two best girlfriends who had marriages that had lasted more than 20 years to pick me suitable men. Any man that I picked at a party or who picked me, I did not see again. I used discipline, and I only dated men that these two friends introduced me to. And I had you know, some criteria, some of which were met, some of which weren't. You know, I wanted age-appropriate, <laughs> like nothing to do with Hollywood, yeah, had to be married, had to have kids. I had, I had a bunch of things. Um, and this one friend of mine introduced me to a whole bunch of really, really wonderful men who weren't really interesting to me because they had no deep-seated pathology or anger. They, like they were funny. gainfully employed. <laughs> they they were too, too loved normal. their mothers. So there was no hook. <laughs> and, and so there, these were like these fabulous, employed, successful, handsome, wonderful men, but there was no juice there. And this one, thank God, was, was kind enough to find me worth the wait. And so he said to me, you know, I mean, I met him the first time. He, he was smart and dashing, but no chemistry there. I, I, I email my friend and say, don't encourage him. Uh, he, she said, too late. He's going to ask you out. And I had a three-date rule because I knew I was working against my tendencies. So I had a three-date rule. So I had the three dates with him. And he said, listen, I'm not going to stalk you, but I'm going to stay around until you tell me to go away. And... I ultimately fell so passionately, so madly in love with such an amazing, gainfully employed, ethical, caring, loving, juicy, sexy, brilliant man who I never, ever intuitively would have picked because intuition would have picked mommy and daddy. Right. And boy... That screwed me for a long time. That's really interesting. But then once you kind of got over that hump and were like, he's from me, like in your relationship day to day, are there times you know stuff that you wish you didn't know? Um, Yes. But the thing about, you know, the reason to go to an intuitive, and I ask, you know, I'm lucky enough to have all these wonderful students I've trained. You know, the the thing about yourself is that you can perceive something intuitively that for someone else you would know was dead on. But for you, you don't know, is this my suspicion? Is this my worry? Is this my hope? Right. So where I'm most intuitive for my husband is um, like how much he can ask for a job. Or w- when he was doing a writer's room, I looked at all their first names and told them... Like who, hire, hire, hire. Well, not, no, don't no, hire. no, no, I give data. Because hire, how do you know I'm not batshit crazy, as my son would say. Right. No, I say, I feel like this person has worked a lot as a playwright, but now they're blah, 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 and I feel that they're not born in this state. So I'll give data, and then he'll make a choice, you know, based on what he knows, obviously, but also based on that data. So things you can prove or disprove, I know are accurate. Right. Um, intuition, so my favorite intuition story that shows how intuition does not quite work for you on yourself as well as it does for someone else, is I was, you know, working for an intu- as an intuitive already. My son was two. I was, you know, employed by all these high-level people, so my intuition was clearly working. 
So I'm in my apartment and I have a vision, very clear vision, no guesswork. My son covered in blood, writhing in pain. And I just knew something was really drastically wrong. Uh, and I called his nursery school as I was getting my coat on to go to save my son. My son <laughs> had fallen. He'd scratched his chin. He'd seen a drop of blood. He was, you know, crying in terror, but nothing really had happened. It was fine. And as a mother, the best thing I could do was stay out of it. Oh, my God, I love that. <laughs> For you, it looked like he was literally drowning in his own blood. <laughs> so, you know, you're very, it's very hard. But you still knew, though, that something happened, which is fascinating. But nothing really happened. No, I know. Like any kid, he had a lump and bump like anybody else. So, you know, your, your, your intuition... And well, what about like with your son? Because you even said earlier, like sometimes I, like you said I'm in him and sometimes too much. Like, do you know, like he's now engaged, do you know things that sometimes, like un, most relationships, they don't have, they're not privy to that information. But you don't know, you don't actually know if it's your imagination or if it's intuition. So if I call and say, you know, um, I think your car's out of gas, so when you get into it this morning, look at the gas, right? whatever you call those things yeah. in cars. Um, that I can prove. But if I feel like he's anxious, I can't prove that. You know, so I, it's really about data, intuition. So interesting. I love that you keep bringing it back to data because you don't always hear that in the same conversation when you talk to psychics. Well, you know, the broad statements are much easier to give things people can't prove or disprove. And by the way, those broad things are beautiful and sometimes you know, so helpful, so necessary. Having someone describe your spiritual journey is, can often be a beautiful thing, but I guess I'm such a skeptic in general as a human being. My thoughts are always, well, if I can't verify it, how do I know it's right? How do I know it's not just somebody's fantasy or there was like LSD in the water or you know I love but I love that you're your own skeptic oh I'm the worst but I, that's kind of great for what you do it like really makes you more like legitimate I am <laughs> I am absolutely I am a huge skeptic I though am also a scientist and uh, my one of my favorite quotes I'm not sure who wrote it was a scientist suspends disbelief and runs the experiment anyway so I, anything that is safe, I try and I apply it and I believe in it as much as it proves itself to me. But I do run the experiment. And, and you know, you, you had asked earlier, why aren't people aware of their intuition? And they're not aware of the intuition because we do very early on choose our beliefs and our belief cuts out a lot of reality our beliefs can be blinding to us. So we decide we don't believe in being able to see spirits, so we don't see them. You know, if you don't believe you can see the future, you don't. Your beliefs are actually limiting. But if you suspend those beliefs or suspend disbelief and just run an experiment, sometimes you'll find that... Yes, looking into a crystal ball wearing purple really doesn't work. But sometimes you'll find if I write a question down on a piece of paper before I go to sleep and first thing in the morning I jot down before I even pee where my attention is going on a piece of paper, I actually get verifiable data that makes my life easier. And I think that's so important to, to verify. It's so important. I mean, you're so amazing. Talk to me before I ask you your four U's. 
um, you've worked in like some high stress situations. I mean, right? You've worked for the government, for army, and so like, how do you handle? I haven't worked for the army. The experiments were the, the, a lot of the testing that was done. People found out was later clearly military funded in the seventies, right? Um, but really, the highest—I mean, for me—the highest stressed situations I've ever worked on are not the big companies I work for. Um, the highest stress situation is when someone is in desperate need and they need the right answer right away. No room for error. Uh. The, the highest stress situation is one-on-one, -on -one. and I do. I do, especially when I teach a workshop, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work. That is kind of what a workshop is, is my working with the room full of people for a day or for a weekend. And for me, that's the highest stress because people's lives are so intricately balanced that every tiny move does make a huge difference. A good thing to realize in an exercise program that those extra five steps will actually make a difference. You don't have to do a whole workout. But a big thing... <laughs> to realize when you're working with people. I, I, am not, I am infrequently wrong, but I can be wrong. Um, I can phrase something in a way that is hurtful instead of helpful. Right. There's a lot to be aware of in a person's life, and especially people who don't have their therapists, their body workers, their acupuncture people. You know, I do a, these th free groups across the country where I'll do laying on of hands, I'll do psychic healing on four, five, six, seven, eight hundred people in one night. Wow. And so I have a moment to give them information. I have a moment to touch them and make a change. And those for me are both the highest stress situations where I really, I have a teeny bit of time to make a difference. Um, and I need to do it right because I could really screw up here. Um, but also they're the most rewarding situations because I, you know, when you touch, you are touched. I am touched by 700 people in a night. And I actually, when I do healing, I, one, one of the things that I do, especially in a large group, is I ask someone to touch me back. So that even if they don't know they're doing healing, when you reach out to someone, you are doing a healing. So right. I get 700 healings. It's amazing. <laughs> can you see sickness like in people? Like if you're doing healings like that, can you actually see like, oh God, this person doesn't realize it, but they have this right now? Or um, I often see sickness, but practicing medicine without a license is a felony. So I don't, unless, I do do work for doctors uh, on their patients, not for them. They'll say, well, I'm a doctor. I say, well, you're not your doctor. <laughs> I don't practice what I'm not qualified to practice. So I don't make a diagnosis. I certainly will say, gee, have you had a checkup lately? And you might want to just run a test. Um, I will send them to a doctor and and. Um, I will give them information in a way that I'm not making a diagnosis. Because remember, everybody can be wrong. Right. And I think that that's, you know, that's so important. I think that actually um, intuitives and healers and spiritual people and yoga people, you know, all of these people, they, they put a lot of burden on themselves to be perfect. And we are perfect in our imperfection the best thing I think you can do as a teacher is to wear your expertise in a way that teaches it, but wear your vulnerability in a way that's realistic. Yeah, that's huge, because I think so many people, especially teachers, 
they, it, look, there's a lot of God syndrome, you know what I mean? And it's sad because, and then there's the... And who wants that job? No, right? not me. <laughs> Could you imagine? I was actually thinking about that, that like the other day. I was like just thinking about that power. Like I know it's all of us, but I was like, that's exhausting. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that the... Um, I, I'm, I'm finishing a book now, which I may really make into an online workshop because I'm noticing this whole online thing that's a lot of fun and interactive. But, but one of the things from 40 years of teaching healing and teaching intuition and in a sense doing it in the straight world, one of the things that for me is the most powerful takeaway is that if you are, if you are pure spirit, if you are omniscient, omnipresent, you're, you're omnipotent, you're not changing. But if you have an ego, if you are human and you have to take that energy of spirit and you have to work a physical mechanical body and you have to create in a physical mechanical world who's teaching spirit is spirit is this amorphous spirit teaching us or are we through our daily efforts evolving spirit my experience is that we evolve spirit that we are each doing a little piece of that really hard job of evolving this amorphous energy that doesn't change, that doesn't do the work. And we should respect ourselves for the amount of work it takes just to like get dressed and get your teeth brushed in the morning <laughs> when you don't feel like it. Like there's a lot that we do and we don't respect it if it doesn't sparkle. But our trash collectors, you know, Naples had a trash strike. Our trash collectors make everything possible. Oh, I think about that all the time. Right? Oh my God. I just think about how lucky we are that we even have a system. I was like, without this system, just one day of it not working, it all, it all, ugh. And we are a system. And, yes. And what I love about healing, which we haven't spoken a lot about, what I love about healing and intuition is that each one of you has an innate natural ability that allows you to be an alchemist. It allows you to take what is, whatever it may be, however miserable or, <laughs> or deranged or you know, impoverished it may be, you can take what is and you can create what it is that your intuition can envision. And that is th really the gift of intuition. I mean, that's so beautiful. That's actually a perfect place to end. It is, you know, it's funny because we're doing a panel here actually next week about healing yourself and just trying to because so many people just don't understand it and don't understand that we do all have that innate gift and it might appear stronger in some than others but we all have it and it's just a matter of how to cultivate and own it and and it share up. it and share because it because once again you you do you are not your own best psychic you are not your own best healer and someone who can just take a breath and pretend there's energy between their hands, pretending is a way of, dis, of, of, of taking disbelief and putting it on the shelf, and they can put those hands on you and just wish you good things, you can actually prove that you have a physical effect from that. That's amazing. You know, but we need to do it for one another. We are important and not the somebodies. You know, I, I, when I was young and worked with actors and they'd all you know, want to have a moment with a producer, a moment with a director, I'm like, you know who has everyone's air? Hair and makeup. Those people, you so were just, those people you were just rude to, those are the people that you want to make friends with. I mean, it's so true. I talk about it all the time. I mean, I used to work in entertainment also. Oh, I didn't know And that. there was like such a, I'd always laugh at watching people play the hierarchy. Even from when I was at the bottom of it, no matter what level I was, I'd always laugh watching it. Because I'm like, 
have you guys not paid attention to the one constant in this business, which is it's always changing so fast and there's no rules. So if any business where people are so obsessed with making sure they're kissing ass to the right person, I'm like, you guys aren't even thinking. Like, it's and so right clear that these craft people, services right. who talks to everybody. It's everybody. And it's constantly changing anyway. So you could get, if, if you're obsessed with that idea of it, it like makes no sense anyway. Because especially in that business. So it, I always thought it was hilarious. And I used to say the same thing. I'm like, why aren't people just nice to everyone? Like, it just makes no sense. Just everyone's like providing an amazing role in whatever we're doing and it wouldn't exist without it. And we all have hidden gifts. I mean, actually the thing that frustrates me most about both companies and people is it is often their extraordinary gift that's a part of them that's so effortless for them that they hide. Right. You know, and and literally, one of the nice things about being 60 is that a lot of the nobodies are now huge somebodies. Yeah. And a lot of the somebodies are now huge nobodies. And there are no nobodies and somebodies. Right, you just see that it is because, a big bowl of salad that just keeps getting tossed. But we do see, <laughs> we're taught to see the world in terms of somebodies and nobodies. And if we can make one transition, and that transition is seeing everybody as having gifts, not all of which they want to share, finding the gifts people do want to share, and then asking for their help, and allowing people to do the same for you, you've got a winning system. Well, that's huge. That is really huge. I love that. Because it is true, and I love that you're saying, look, from your perspective, you've now seen it change. It's just, it doesn't matter. It never matters. It doesn't. It really, it really, really... When it matters, and it's sad, and I say this all the time, especially from the business I came from, are people who get so wrapped up in that system and then define themselves within the system. When it gets tossed, which it always does get tossed, then they have no clue who they are. And so then they're starting from scratch trying to actually realize, because I used to say that all the time, like when I left the business and this, people are always like, isn't it so weird? And I'm like, I don't even think about it because I never defined myself by my job ever. Like I was just always me. And like, I liked what I was doing and I was very lucky, but I never defined myself by it. So no matter what was happening with it, it never really affected me. Like I never had that identity crisis because I don't, I think my jobs or what I do are amazing extensions of expressions of myself, but I don't think they're who I am. So that's always been really helpful for me because I've seen people get knocked when that expression of themselves changes, but then they don't know who they are. And also, you know, I, I actually was not that evolved. So the first time, I remember the first time I came to LA and I was, I don't know, maybe 21, and I came because uh, there was a demand for my services, and at the time, I had a beautiful apartment in Tribeca, I had wonderful friends, I was, you know, in my early 20s, I mean, I just, I had such a privileged life, I'd lived in a 15th century castle, I'd traveled all over, and I came to LA, and all of a sudden, Within three days, I realized my clothes were too shabby, my house was too small, everything wasn't good enough. And then I thought, LA will do oh, that wow, too. I have been, I have, I have really a little work to do on myself. This isn't about having a bigger this or a better that. This is about, whoa, look how easily, Laura Day, you became something that you don't want to be so interesting and you know I have a lot of friends in the business and one of the things that's true of all of them is they are all really just good humans Mm -hmm. they're people who know what really matters and 
No, I mean, I realize you do, you pay for celebrity. You know, you can't go out alone. I mean, I, I have people stay with me in New York because for some reason my building is a paparazzi-free zone, but people who I wouldn't walk out of the door with because they're, they're you know, it's a deluge. Right. You know, but we do make trades and, and yeah, people and who do well are gracious about it. That's right. But it is funny. I remember when I first got to L.A., same thing. It was the first few days I was looking around and I remember going, oh, so everyone dresses and looks like whatever the cover of the magazine is this week. Because, I mean, we didn't have Instagram at the time. So it really was like the magazine covers. And I was like, wow. And I remember I had that moment. Mine was slightly different because I actually thought about it and noticed it. And I remember going, well, this will be interesting to see what happens to me. And I remember thinking, like, will I, wondering, like, am I going to succumb to that? Or am I going to still be me and be the kind of sloppy? We'll see. We'll see what happens. And I'm sure there were moments of, like, waffling both. But I kind of always stayed the slobby, like... But I remember noticing it and seeing it being like, this is why this is a tough city. This is a tough city. It really is, especially but, in your 20s. But all, you know, I think that um, that all business, you know, business is, is just a replica of hunting. Yes. You know, <laughs> and it's all tough and it's all wonderful. And the lovely thing about entertainment is that the people in it actually have a lot of courage and a lot of skill. And... Um, and are real advocates. I mean, when I worked as a healer, I remember, you know, having whoever, whatever actor was hot at the time, call the children's hospitals, and all of a sudden, all the kids would get suctioned and better care because the nurses were exhausted, you know. But yeah. that extra, thank you, we hear you're taking care of the. I mean, it's very, it's very power. It's a powerful lobby, mm -hmm. the entertainment oh, lobby. Oh, for sure. And and I think it takes a lot of courage to do, you know. I think that the business itself has some demands that are. I mean, think of it. You're dressing up in other people's clothes, reading other people's lines. What could be more terrifying? And you have to make something transformative out of that. I can't imagine having to do that. Yeah, no, that's a whole other thing. Let's do your for yous. So quick questions. Okay. Um, so quick responses for our audience. What's a type? This will be interesting because I know you don't love meditation, but what's the type of meditation you rely on the most? Uh, movement meditation. So any meditation that involves uh, either breath, like kundalini, mm -hmm. I love, uh, or walking meditation, anything with repetition. I get it. I'm and action. Too. Yeah. Do you journal or have any other daily practice? My, the circle is my daily practice, where you make a goal and you put it through not, all nine steps. Which we're going to um, do. So that, that is, and I try to do that every day, and I always know when I'm being self-destructive because I stop doing it. Oh, interesting. I know. I always know. The same thing. When my practice doesn't happen, I'm like, what are you trying to do to yourself right I stopped now? doing it, and I started eating a lot of Napoleons and <laughs> What is your current obsession? Maybe that's it. My current <laughs> obsession is social media, which I just discovered, which my, <laughs> my son is doing. I mean, I really love that on Instagram I can get everyone doing readings for each other and I can go on live although the kids have said please don't do that without makeup again mom <laughs> but, uh, I mean I, that I actually you know it's weird it's a lot like the intuitive process you're connected yeah you really are even at a distance you're connected and interacting so I think that's so cool can you through I mean I guess I was going to say through Instagram can you read someone you can that's yeah. exactly what we do on yeah. my Instagram everyone including say you're reading me people reads everybody world. Do you like get information constantly that you have to pick and choose what you're getting? Like if I'm you just stopped for a second and you were like, I want to think about what's happening all the way across the world. Like, could you pull that for you? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody does. I think that that's like you teach into you, you teach meditation. I think that 
one of the um, real difficulties in meditation, at least for me, because as I told you, meditation is like the 20 minutes a day I want to slit my wrists. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the real powers of meditation is when you sit, you realize, oh my God, I'm bombarded with information. I'm bombarded with different places, my energy. I'm bombarded all over. And when you have even that millisecond during a 20-minute meditative practice where you have the experience not to be bombarded, you realize how much intuition you're getting all the time. Not just thoughts, intuition, solutions. Even solutions at the wrong time are just noise. Do you feel like sometimes when you sit for meditation, like just that quiet allows more of the information to come in, which is why it's hard for you? Um, yes, it's, it is. I find meditation really overwhelming. I don't find breath overwhelming. So Kundalini, I, I really enjoy. Mindfulness is really hard for me because there's so much information and it's very hard for me because of, you know, what makes me a good intuitive makes me not mindful. Yeah, I was going to say, and especially because you were saying you realize that there's so many people and energies inside of you since you were so in touch with that, I could see how mindfulness would actually be a very overwhelming feeling. Very overwhelming. But the, probably the healthiest thing for me to do, but I rarely do it. The same reason I don't drink green juices. It's just too painful. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you can, just because you don't like it? Or is there another there's reason? Just, there's too much noise and it's very hard for me to sit. Whereas breath meditation or even having no, a but like green juice, just because oh, you just don't it, like I just, it? I or, don't like it. Okay, I didn't know if like you felt something different from drinking. No, okay. no, no. I like things you know, with olive you like oil poured over them or butter or yeah, yeah, anything, ice cream. everything in life is improved by deep frying <laughs> I, by and the way, salt. <laughs> I agree with you. A fried potato might be my favorite thing of yeah. all creation. What is your favorite self-care hack? Cuddling. Aww. I mean, I find that, mm. that touch, and I'm lucky because I have like, well, first of all, I have a very delicious husband, but I also have <laughs> very warm, touchy girlfriends. So just literally touch someone resting their hand on mine, someone putting their arm around me, even sitting on a train and having my thigh. I know I sound a little bit like a perv here, but, <laughs> but having my thigh next to another human being's thigh, the the, the nourishment of touch for me just heals me. Was your son a snuggler when he was a Total baby? snuggler. Oh, you're lucky then. And actually now they're so, both of them are, are, are these tall, beautiful creatures and we're, my husband and I are very petite and they just pick me up. I mean, it's Aww. like I'm their pocket dog, you know, the dog that you put in the bag and carry around. They just, they just kind of pick me up and throw me around. I, they're, both, they're both these amazing, warm people. And my son was raised for a good deal of his life in Italy. So he's very, you know, he kisses you hello and he's warm and he slings oh, his that. large arm around <laughs> you. And, That's great. This has been amazing. Thank, Thank you for this you. amazing conversation. I can't wait to do more stuff with this you. This is the most beautiful studio. I cannot wait to teach a workshop here. I love that. Thank you. And I appreciate that. And thank you for being so open and sharing so much. This is so enlightening, I think, for people. And look, I think if we could all just hear our intuition more and be in touch with it, we'd all be better off. So thank you. Thank you. So stay tuned because she is going to walk us through her personal practice, um, which is going to be the nine elements of the circle. But thank you for being here. Now Laura Day is going to do her personal practice, which is telling us about the nine elements of the circle. So every morning, 
I very quickly run through these nine elements. Uh, these nine elements really address how do you engage not just intuition, but intellect, feeling, community, and life in creating something in the physical world. So the first element is intentionality. Intentionality is where you simply uh, make your goal. So I'll wake up in the morning and I'll say, okay, what what is my goal for today? And at the breakfast table, our family basically asks each other with intentionality, what, what, how can I help make this day better for you? So setting the goal. And then the next element is embodiment, which is your ability to experience what you can experience, however imperfectly, of that goal, really uh, present in your life, in your body and your life around you. So embodiment is, in a sense, saying, okay, I'm pretending this is true. Now let me experience what it would be like without creating it, simply opening to the experience. What you'll see is you'll get some obstacles, but you'll also begin to reset your telepathy, the energy you send out to the world around you, in a way that draws you into that experience. And part of the way it does it is through the next element of ritual. So once I have made my goal, experienced it to the degree I can, I will notice one teeny thing to do differently to create that goal. So, for example, if my goal is uh, I want a relationship, maybe the first thing that I do a little differently is set a plate out at the table for somebody. What does that do? It may seem just like silly magic. It makes a space in my subconscious to work through why somebody's not there, making that space. So ritual, doing something differently, is the third element. What happens when you do those first three elements, making the goal, experiencing it, and creating one small action to affirm it, is that all of the sudden, things in your environment begin to make sense in reference to that goal. And that element is called synchronicity. You'll find not only do you notice the things that support your goal, but you'll begin to walk into pieces of that goal in your life. And that's how you know this process is working. As that happens, and and it literally can happen just even within your house, um, you... you go to make your coffee, and all of a sudden you feel like making another choice, and you do. Or your phone rings, and it's exactly the person you needed to hear from. It's alchemic how synchronicity works. But as synchronicity works, you become aware, I become aware of, okay, what is the thing today that I need to let go of? The next element is making space. Space is a precondition for growth because you are always full, your life is always full. So if you're going to do something new, there is something that you're going to either need to repurpose or let go of. So I will consciously ask myself, okay, what do I need to let go of today? What I need to let go of may be trying to get everything done. Uh, It may be I wear uncomfortable pants or uncomfortable shoes, not both. I need to maybe let go of perfection. Like what? Do, and, and when you ask yourself a question, intuition will show you, but so will experience. So making space is the next element. And then when I begin to make space, when I begin to allow, what happens is that I, the element of coherence, which is how do I fit all of my day into this goal? You know, my goal may be to finish a chapter, Uh, but how do I uh, fit into it the fact that I also want to make dinner and I want to see this friend and I really should work out. And So paying real 
intuitive and intellectual attention to the different pieces of what's going to make this work for me. The next element is outer roadblocks. So when you look at what makes it work, you also look at what in your environment is getting in the way of creating your goal, of making this day work for you, for me. So I, I, once again, I allow, I say, okay, what are the outer roadblocks? And often with outer roadblocks, what comes up is some precognition. I'll think, oh, wow, I, I feel like um, my nephew's going to need something later, so let me schedule this other thing earlier. And you really learn to work with your intuition when you allow yourself to see the outer roadblocks, what can go wrong. Because we repress intuition because we don't want to see, because we feel disempowered to change it. So I literally ask myself in outer roadblocks, what's going to go wrong? How do I fix that now? Which brings me to inner roadblocks, which is often the, I don't want to deal with this. You know, uh, this is bringing up you know, something for me, I, I really wanted to have some relaxation today, but I have 10 things to do, and what? And now I'm holding back the energy to get things done that I need to get done. So inner roadblocks are really, okay, what's the little neurotic thing in me that I need to bring to Jesus today to be able to make this day work? And then, and this is kind of a natural transition from this process, is the last element of contact. So now... I have set up my day. I've, I did the troubleshooting. I worked in the conflicts I'm going to have inside of myself. I've pared down and making space what I need to pare down. I'm making things that can work together work together and the things in coherence that don't work with me, I'm fitting them in in some way they don't affect everything. But now I'm ready to take this party out and make contact. And contact is really important because it's who do I need and what do I need from them? today to make things work. You know, maybe what I need is to be left alone, but then, so I don't make problems for myself, because problems take time and energy. Let me let people know, I, I, the people who are usually in touch, I have a busy day not to take it personally. You know, let me set out a little, send out a little group text and say, crazed today, you know, uh, just want to say good morning and I love you. And often what I'll get back is, oh, can I leave something for dinner? I'm making a stew, I'll have extra. You know, often what you'll get back is a synchronicity to make your day go better. So to go quickly over it, intentionality, make a wish, embodiment, experience it, shift your energy, ritual, do something consciously a little bit differently to create that wish, synchronicity, notice how the world is helping you do that, making space, what is it you need to let go of to make this wish happen easily, coherence, there are 20 million things in my life. How do I fit them in? What quickly can I do to make all the pieces of me and my life work together? Outer roadblocks. What's going to get in the way and how do I deal with it now? Inner roadblocks. What's my hidden agenda? Where am I holding back? And do I, how do I put that on ice so I can accomplish my goal today or work it through? And contact. Okay, I'm a character in my own fabulous drama and in yours as well. How can I make contact in a way that we both can play together happily? And that's my personal practice. Ten Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.